0: Chaos looms, and darkness swiftly approaches. It's time to build your fires and defend the perimeter. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of The Perimeter. I'm joined today by Alex Feinberg. He is a ex-professional athlete turned into a, one of those techie guys that we all make fun of.
1: (laughs) I make fun of them too.
0: Well, and then he's evolved from that right into the fat loss guru. And I'm actually, uh, an owner of his cookbook and I really enjoy it. It's It's a very good cookbook. Uh, today Alex and I are going to be talking about a little bit about everything from fitness to personal sovereignty and a little bit of life itself. Uh, Those of you watching, smash the like button. If you're on YouTube, like it there, subscribe to the channel. And if you're not and you're on Twitter watching it right now, retweet the video. Get it out to all your fat friends because they are going to want to know exactly what Alex has to say, how to unfat themselves to steal a term from Alex Cortez. Alex, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, man. Glad to have you on.
1: It's been a while. I mean, we've been following each other for for months, if not years, and this is the first time that we've uh, we've had a chance to jam. So I'm excited. It has
0: been a long time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I started following you because uh, Zach Hummel started talking about this guy. He called the show pony. And then when I saw your profile, I was like, oh yeah, he's a, he's definitely a show pony.
1: Yeah. So maybe for 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 those who who lack a little bit of context, I think uh, I I raised to rose to minor fame on Twitter uh, because I I am and was the guy with abs who eats three to 4,000 calories a day and doesn't track calories and doesn't believe in tracking calories. Um, and so background on, you know, why I thought that it would be really helpful for people to learn about my experience, um, is, you know, I grew up as a competitive athlete. I went to Vanderbilt on an athletic scholarship and, uh, you know, I'm a really competitive person. So that, that uh, competition mindset that I developed on the field, um, has unsurprisingly, um, applied to many areas in my life. And one thing that I noticed when I was playing uh, at Vanderbilt um, was that there are so many ways that people can get advantages outside of normally structured, um, defined rules. And so an example for that might be two people do the exact same thing. One person gets away with it. One person doesn't. When you see these patterns over and over again, if you're a competitive person, you ask yourself, Why are there two different results for two different people? And I think, you know, the modern mindset is, oh, it's because he's a man or, oh, it's because he's like this race and that. And I went to school before this was popular to like call out in every circumstance, whether true or false. And so the patterns that I started noticing for this person gets away with it, this person doesn't is the person who is in shape, looks good, speaks well tends to get the benefit of the doubt in almost every life circumstance. And so just like as an athlete, if I wanna have an advantage on the playing field over my competition, I'm gonna work on the things that they're not working on. Well, the same is true in a business context. If I wanna have an advantage in a job interview, or if I wanna have an advantage closing a deal, um, it absolutely helps to be in shape and speak well. And this is actually something that I used to get my first job at Google, where I convinced myself that the tech sector was gonna do really well about 10, 11 years ago, because I knew what the Federal Reserve was gonna do. I knew they were gonna keep interest rates low. I knew this was gonna flood Silicon Valley with money. And I wanted to have the most sovereignty I possibly could have and control over my career. So I thought Silicon Valley was a place to be. And I convinced myself that if I walked into Google, no matter how challenging their interviews were, if I walked in there wearing a custom tailored suit, Speaking confidently, speaking clearly, speaking effectively, I could talk my way into a job. And that's exactly what I did. That is how I got my job at Google. And because that's how I got my job at Google, I maintained my commitment to training my entire time there. But I also love eating and I maintained my commitment to eating. And it got me a little bit chubby, chubbier than I thought until I started finding some cheat codes that allowed me to enjoy a hundred percent of the meals, never going hungry, eating delicious food all the time, whenever my body was craving it. And I actually figured out ways to make my training easier and more effective. So, you know, for folks who've uh, taken a trip to my Twitter timeline or Instagram timeline, um, you can see that a lot of gaining control over your life, gaining control of your body doesn't require you to be miserable all the time. In fact, if you are, you're probably doing it wrong. And I've noticed as I've become more responsive to my body more forgiving for myself and more in tune with the things that I'm putting in my body, not just me, but, you know, the 22,000 followers that I have on Twitter are experiencing better tasting meals with better physiques. They're literally killing two birds with one stone. And anytime I see something like that, it's like, hmm, you got to do it. If you're killing two birds with one stone, you got to do it. Yeah, I like that. I'm one of those
0: guys, too. I love to eat. My guilty pleasure is to head down to the local place and I'll grab two of the largest double bacon chili cheeseburgers they have. Yeah. And that's probably three bites, and I'm yeah. good, you know.
1: <laughs> but you put them in a blender. <laughs> just- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh it's an it's an army thing, man. We just inhale our food. We don't even taste yeah. it until like three days later.
1: Yeah. But I'm the same uh, way. Because I found out yeah, I could yeah. eat more when I ate faster back when I was trying oh, yeah. to like really bulk up. So I'm like, well, I was just- Eat really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that I do. You know, I I probably
0: cram between four and five thousand calories a day because I train every day and I lift heavy yeah. every day. Yeah, and so trying to maintain that with being like I think naturally, if I didn't try to maintain a certain weight, I'd probably be walking around at like a buck thirty-five. I'm a small yeah. guy. Right? Yeah, but eating five thousand calories a day, training every day. Water right at one sixty five, right at one seventy now, which is the most I've ever weighed, but also the best I've ever looked. Right? Uh, what kind of? You said you you learned some cheat codes. Yeah. What uh? What cheat codes did you learn, man?
1: So you know, this kind of goes back to my um, gripes with fitness in general. And so when I got done playing baseball, um, my training program. And my diet, to some extent, was modeled after what mainstream, quote unquote, science said would work most effectively for fat loss. So I was running, I was doing 20, 30 minutes of cardio, fasted in the morning um, at a medium heart rate. um, And then I would lift weights for about 45 minutes, try to monitor my fat consumption. um, And, you know, I ended up having 12 percent body fat doing it. So it wasn't like a bad I didn't have like a bad body doing it. Um, I just thought that that's where my ceiling was. And then, you know, a crazy thing happened. I started working in a new group at Google and worked with a triathlete who was actually almost as strong as me, but he was a, a lot faster than me. And I wanted to be able to run miles as fast as him or close to as fast as him. So I switched up my training to run uh, shorter distances, but faster. And I knew from interacting with my best friend's mom growing up, who's a pediatrician, she said, you don't burn more calories when you run faster. And I knew from my training that when you run faster, your few, your prefer uh, your preferential fuel source is not fat, but muscle glycogen. And so the reason why a lot of trainers will have you do cardio at the end of your workout rather than the beginning is because they say, well, you don't want to burn your muscle glycogen so you can actually lift heavier if you do your cardio after. Well, what I noticed is that if I do my cardio first and I do it fast and I pay attention to my speed more than my distance, my metabolism was just skyrocketing. Right. Fat was literally melting off my body in ways that I had never seen before and never anticipated because that wasn't the reason why I did it. And so then the focus of my cardio switched from just getting it done to getting it done properly. Right. Which actually allows for, um, you know, more reco- more mental recovery, because you don't have you're not just like going, going, going. You actually have to listen to your body um, and you exert yourself really hard and then you're done. And then the other thing that happens is I think there's a hormonal change. It felt like there was a hormonal change. I literally was like, asking myself, is somebody putting steroids in my water? Why is my body responding like this? And, you know, what what ends up happening when you start uh, running faster or training to to near the top of your heart capacity is your appetite can get moderated in many ways. So I found that diet and exercise isn't about like struggle, struggle, struggle here, hate your life in the gym. And then hit your meals, and then you know try to do it again. It's more like the two things work together. So if you're eating properly, that should allow you to train harder, and the, and if you're training harder, that actually reinforces your ability to eat properly. So you know I developed basically an entire system built around my lifestyle as a full time employee um, that really leverages the synergies between all of these things. So doing three components is not like doing one component times three. It's actually the effort of kind of one component because they all make each other easier.
0: I like that. And I did notice that. Um, but I I think I got started actually lifting and training consistently anyway. Maybe June of last year. Okay. Uh, it was not long after Father's Day. Uh, my 17, then 16-year-old I uh, said, Dad, Father's Day, we're going to spend time together more. We're going to the gym together. I got us both the gym membership. Yeah. Sweet. So we started going every single morning at 4 a.m. This is You got your right. kid
1: going at 4 a.m.?
0: Yeah. He's getting ready to leave in like I don't know, 10, 11 days, headed to basic training. So he's Okay, so he's going to be getting him. up at 4 anyway. Yeah, well, 5, but he, I, I might as well prep him, right? Mm. But uh, I noticed that when I started training like that, I felt like I was going to die if I didn't eat a ton of food. Yeah. Like the first three days, you know, you feel like your whole body is just eating itself. Right. And I was like, you know, I I wasn't big by any means, but I had that like that skinny fat, you know, where it's that just a little bit around the midsection there on the bottom. And that disappeared. And I'm like, well, it's it's going to have to come back because so I'm, I'm sucking down like three cheeseburgers and a steak, yeah. a plate of spaghetti, four sandwiches. And this is before right. lunch. Right. Uh, and then it's just never came back. Right. And I'm plowing through all of that food. And I'm like, right. I'm not gaining, but I'm not losing. I'm six months into it. Holy crap, I've gained like 12 pounds now, but my waist right. size hasn't changed. So this is awesome.
1: Right. Right. And and that's like the power of real food. You know, I tell people and Zach Hummel is actually, you know, one of, uh, I guess, my, uh, you know, proudest, um, you know, achievements, if you want to call it an achievement. He's a friend. um, I love Zach. Yeah, he's a great dude. And, you know, if you ask him, you check his Twitter timeline, you know, prior to meeting me, he would just eat Wendy's and like Chipotle and which I I eat Chipotle, you know, Wendy's Chipotle. And I remember the first time meeting him was uh, September 2019. We went out to dinner, we got some steaks, so and we went back to his house. And he's like, you want a Popsicle? And I was like, what? You eat, like, you're eating a Popsicle, man? What's going on? <laughs> like, no, I mean, you eat it, I don't care. I don't eat Popsicles. Um, and he ate it and I just gave him shit for it for, for months. And then finally, you know, when we started hanging out more in 2020, uh, you know, I cooked for him and his wife, Ashley, gave him access to my recipes and all that and taught them like how easy it was to cook real protein dominant food and also got them eating organic food. I'm not putting them in, or nor suggesting any sort of like calorie count, weighing, measuring, no. It's just like, cook it this way, it's super simple, and buy these foods and avoid these ingredients. And within like three months, their joints are feeling better. They're not taking allergy medication anymore that they took one or two Claritins a day for years. Those symptoms are gone. And, and it really makes you wonder, like, are these modern food companies poisoning a vast majority of people? Because all of these insane symptoms, whether it's obesity, being overweight, joint pain, allergies, inflammation, they seem to moderate themselves not through pharmaceutical uh, prescriptions, but simply switching to a real food protein dominant diet, which is what you're doing. And you I assume you're not weighing, measuring, counting calories, but like, look at the look at what's actually happened when you did that. Yeah.
0: I mean, I was weighing because I had a goal of trying to get sure. higher in weight. Right. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to lose was my point. Right. But at the same time, I didn't want to start just eating a bunch of crap and then it right. had to turn me into, you know, a big blob. Um, but luckily for me, my wife's been a stay at home wife for almost ever yeah right and she is an amazing cook she's that one that when we were super super poor she could go into the cabinet grab like some baking soda it's
1: like macgyver you
0: know, some mop <laughs> some some mop cleaner and then next thing you know we've got like a five course meal she, she's right. like, she's amazing in the kitchen right
1: that's awesome
0: like, but we don't do the uh like we don't even have a microwave, right? Yeah. We we heat everything up in the oven. We don't do the the boxed heat and eat meals. Right. We shop fresh food. She she subscribes to things like, uh, what was it Misfit Market, where they mm-hmm. send you the boxes of fresh veggies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we have a garden outside. Yeah. And we just all, we're, we're we're meat eater people anyway. Right. You know, my my wife's idea of a perfect date is a steak and watching The Godfather. So, you know, it's, she have a it's, sister. <laughs> she she has one sister that looks like a man and she has another sister that's currently married so i guess we'll have to leave that alone unless i mean you can do what you want but i'll trust your advice on that one yeah but no man it we're really lucky well, because of the way that she was raised cooking in a very traditional kind of household mm-hmm. uh being a hispanic woman uh but she can just cook her ass off and our kids every single day. Can we make this again? It's something new that she's never made before. Can we make this again? Yeah. yeah, we'll make it again. But then it never happens again because she's always innovating something new. And yeah, that's one thing that I noticed in doing that. My kids aren't picky eaters. Yeah. And I don't think I, I don't even know where the hell the pediatrician's office is in my hometown. I've never had to take my kids to anywhere except for the ER with like a broken bone or a concussion from playing sports,
1: like my kids don't get sick. If they do, Hunger bitter, Games at be, the Putnam household. You got to fight dude, for that last plate.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, but they, but they never get sick. Yeah. you know, it's oh, I feel bad today. Well, here, drink some water, go lay down, see you tomorrow, and it's yeah. that, you know. But right. I have uh, relatives who they take their kids to the doctor every 20 minutes because they sneezed or whatever, and they. Yeah take them into these Petri dish neighborhoods, which are basically the waiting room, right? Right. And uh, the kid's always sick. The kid's allergic to colors at this point.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And it's just really cool to see what eating real food that doesn't come in a box does where you don't need all this extra crap.
1: Yeah. And it's really sad that a lot of parents kind of, I think they get guilted into uh, raising their kids like this and I I don't have kids yet. So, you know, maybe I'm speaking out of place, but um, you know, paying attention to marketing and, you know, being a marketer, being a salesperson myself, I'm paying attention to propaganda in our universe all the time because I understand that propaganda is the way that people get you to buy a product, vote for a certain person. And uh, you know, they use very common methods uh, across domains and so, you know, one of the things that a good propaganda campaign will do is it will guilt you into believing that you're a bad parent if you're not taking care of your kid in this way exactly. And that way happens to benefit a multinational corporation to some extent, conveniently. And so you have a lot of modern households that are cleaned with a lot of synthetic, you know, chemical laden products. You have, um, you know, essentially helicopter parents who at the, the first sign of distress will, you know, take their kids to the quote-unquote expert to figure out what's going on. And what we oftentimes lose sight of in the modern world is the modern solutions that we have are just what the scientific community and the corporate scientific community have come up with as the most viable and or profitable solutions that exist. But they neglect the fact that, you know, humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years and have been naturally able to overcome a lot of these things. And, you know, we kind of find with the bro science approach that it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on necessarily in my body at the cellular level, but paying attention to myself and just using like common sense seems to have worked out probably better than just going to the doctor every time something was mildly wrong.
0: Yeah, bro science is one of those that uh, I think everybody in my house subscribes to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it works and it's stupid, it's not stupid because it worked.
1: Right. And, and that's exactly the approach that I took with my training, with my eating, because, uh, you know, my entire fitness system is not supposed to work according to, quote unquote, science. But you ask the people who bought my products, you ask the people in my group class, you ask the people who i have trained one on one, and they'll say that this feels like cheating because they have this expectation for fat loss is supposed to be this hard diet, supposed to be this hard training, supposed to be this hard. And they come in and they do my, my programs and they're, you know, they do require some work, but the work is like 60, 70% less than what they're usually accustomed to from a diet and exercise standpoint. And then they see they get better results. It's like, okay, so that happened to me and rather than say, well, it's not supposed to work, it goes against the science. It's like, no, 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 let's, let's roll with this. I have no idea why it's working, but I'm gonna keep applying derivatives of what has been working and try to templatize the things that have worked and, and spread them out to other portions of my program. And the end result is something that's way easier, way more effective, that everybody enjoys, kind of irrespective to their background.
0: Yeah, uh, it's kind of been the thing here. Um, when, we, when I first started you know, training, I wanna lose some body fat, but I wanna build muscle. And I learned pretty quickly that muscle is calorically expensive. So it didn't yes. matter how many I ate as long yeah. as I kept building more, yeah. the calories would handle themselves. I didn't have to count crap. Right. You know, I mean, uh, have you ever heard of uh Jordan Syatt? Yeah. Yeah. I had Jordan. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Jordan Syatt is, uh, he's a really good dude. He's a fitness trainer. He actually was a uh, Gary V's, uh, trainer for a while, but, uh, I had Jordan on an old show of mine that I had with Nick Lowry and Dan Cosmala, uh back when we were running this company called the unemployables and he counts calories. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with counting calories. It's a tool that can be used, but you don't have to use it. Correct. And when, I really
1: disagree with his approach on that, by the way, but oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. Because so, it really depends on the audience that you're talking to, right? So what people should realize, and, and I hope people can realize that despite the fact that I'm a bro scientist, I am fluent in like general science. So like I did graduate from a good university and I can like well, do regular you know, jobs and stuff like be that. Speculative. Yeah. Well, it, maybe um, depending on looking at, looking at the curriculum now, it might be speculative, but um, what people don't realize is the modern world, is filled with false precision, because at the quote unquote professional level, you need data to justify anything that you're saying. And so what I've found working at Google, you know, in the six years that I worked at Google, these uh, white collar, uh, sorry, yeah, white collar, um, white shoe professionals from elite universities would rather present bad data than no data. And that is a complete Abdication of responsibility, right? Because data is only good as good as its validity. So, presenting bad data, as far as I'm concerned, and, and making a quantitative argument based on data that you know is bad is fraud. Okay. So, when you're counting your calories, when you're counting calories in, a lot of people just assume, yeah, the label's generally right. You know, well, the FDA permits food companies to be off by up to 20% on their labels. And that's just the speed limit. So ask yourself, you know, you're permitted to drive 65 on the freeway. Do you ever go over? Okay, well, they're permitted to be off by up to 20%. Do you think they ever go over? Uh, Yeah, I do. So, you know, even if they're playing within the rules, which they're not all the time, you might think that you're eating 2,500 calories a day, but you could be eating 3000 calories a day, or you could be eating 2000 calories a day. And it doesn't cancel out because the, the estimates tend to be off on one side predominantly. Uh, typically on the low side, especially if you're eating packaged food, so you're probably eating more but you could be eating less than what's said on the calorie labels and then when you're trying to track calories burned, nobody knows how many calories they're actually burning like people go on an online calculator and they type in their height, weight, age, sex, lean mass and it like spits out oh your are resting metabolic rates 1800 calories it's like well how did they know that because we're not robots. Right. I might be the same height and weight, age, sex as you lean mass. But that doesn't mean we have the same demands on our body. Our brains require different different amounts of energy to operate. We have different stresses that are affecting how we you know, interact with our environment. And so, you know, I actually took a breathing test to estimate like what was actually coming out of my breath. How many how, what was I burning per minute fasted? And what this breathing test showed is that my body's actually metabolizing about 30% more calories than what one of these online calculators would estimate. Now, these online calculators are built by aggregating the data of people like me going to take these breathing tests and saying, well, this is what the average is for somebody with your qualities. But if I already took this breathing test and it said that I'm burning 30% more calories, if I had to base a diet around what an online calculator told me to do, I would actually be in a medically supervised zone uh, without realizing it. If I were trying to be in some mild caloric deficit, I would actually be in like a thousand calorie per day caloric deficit, which is like way too much for a regular person. And even my test was based on estimates because they're assuming that in the 10 minutes that I took the breathing test, I'll burn the same amount of calories the rest of the day. They're throwing on random multipliers for saying, well, you know, your activity beyond this is about 1.3. And like, how do they know that? They don't know anything. And so all of this is like pseudoscience that, um, health professionals can say, well, you know, we, we have a really strong grasp of what's going on because we're counting all of these things and your caloric deficit is this and your caloric surplus is that. And it's all bullshit. And the only people who it's effective for are the, are like complete beginners or people with absolutely no self control. Because if your intuition can get within about 20% of what your daily caloric needs are, then your intuition is better than relying on a hyper-quantified plan, not just because it's easier, but it's actually more accurate than a hyper-qualified plan. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize, especially like people in the professional world who've been taught to ignore their intuition and, and think of it as something that misguides them. It's hard for them to believe that your intuition is better than data Unless your intuition's quite bad, and so if you're aware of how your intuition compares to data, if you can be like within 20%, you're ahead of all the guys who are counting, weighing, and measuring everything. Yeah, that makes sense. That's one of the things that I always questioned. Was uh,
0: I used to have this because my wife didn't like me getting up at 4 a.m. because when my alarm went off, she got up. But I'm still going at 4 a.m. because I had a job that I had to go to at 7. Yeah. Um but I had one of those uh little fitness tracker watches. Yeah. And I had an alarm on it but it wouldn't go off it would just vibrate, mm-hmm. right? And uh you know that woke me up and I'd look at it and it would tell me that I burned I don't know 3 400 calories while I was asleep, right? Yeah. I I'm like my wife and I were doing more than just sleeping so I don't think that's accurate. You know it it, it I you could you can see how that would want, uh, be a feature that someone wants
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and, and news that someone would want if they were struggling on a weight loss journey. Right. They woke up, look at their watch. And oh my God, I burned 300 more calories last night. Right. You know, it is going to feel good. Like, Hey, this is happening. I'm actually burning some calories and it kind of gives them that false sense of security. And then they mm-hmm. go and follow a plan. Well, I'm reading the back of these Cheerios. I'm weighing it out in the measuring cup. Uh, I've Googled how many calories are in this estimated six ounces of chicken here. yeah. And then they end up still off and they're not losing weight. So they get discouraged and they just say, right. like, the hell with it. And they go right back to eating the same old crap and not caring anymore. And they, and that turns a lot of people off and they, and they turn right. around and they say, well, I, I'm just different. I'm just yes. genetically different. Well, yeah, yeah, you are genetically different, but you were fed false hope. Because your Apple Watch told you that you were burning calories peeling that orange. I mean, you burn, you, you burn calories while you breathe, but not nearly to the extent and the accuracy that was calculated by this thing on your wrist. That has no idea that you also just walked down the hall and had to pick up your kid that was throwing a tantrum, throw him over your shoulder, sit him on the couch and say, look, man, calm down. Your heart rate's elevated. Your breath's up. You're burning more than that, but it's not recording any of that because it's recording off of motion.
1: Right. Right. And it's, it's really sad. You know, I look at, uh, you know, I had this tweet the other day that like most health professionals belong in jail. And I kind of believe, I mean, it's a little bit extreme, but I kind of do believe that because the worst thing that you can do as a doctor or trainer is prescribe a plan that doesn't work. Because if you're prescribing a plan that's not gonna work, then what you're doing is you're training your patient, you're training your client to not try, right? You're developing learned helplessness in the person that you're working with if you're telling them to do something that's ineffective. Because most people respond very similarly to stimuluses. If you try really hard and the results are not that great, eventually you're gonna stop trying. So with the people that I work with, with the programs that I work with, they're very much built around dopamine, dopaminergic generation, where I am not going to ramp someone in the effort that they apply until I'm seeing results that justify that. Because as far as I'm concerned, the amount of time somebody can stick to a plan, lifetime being ideal, is the most likely indicator that that person's going to have success. And if you try to ramp up their effort before their body's ready and before their mind's ready, then you're going to create an imbalance between applied effort and actual results. And you're going to lead to burnout. They're going to stop in three months. So it's much, much better to have your person try 3% and get a 5% gain that first month than have them try 20% and have a 10% gain that first month. But because most trainers want to have fast results and, and they're all like based around, you know, three month studies, six month studies, they don't even realize that the plan that they're prescribing is a, a high effort, low, low uh, output plan that will result in the person burning out, which is the most likely reason why they'll develop chronic issues down the line because they thought, well, I tried this diet 10 years ago. I tried this diet five years ago. None of them work. Fuck it. It's like, well, that's the responsibility of the medical professional that that person's worked with for prescribing the wrong plan that led them to the learned helplessness that resulted in them saying, fuck it.
0: Yeah, and, and on top of that, there's a lot of the doctors out there that they see something right in front of them. That is completely contradictory to what the, just the embedded conventional spiel that they're supposed to say, and they can't help themselves. They still say the same thing. Uh, P.D. Mangan, for example, mm-hmm. yeah. dude, I never thought I would see a, I, I think, I think he's like a, bi, he's not a biochemist. Yeah. He's like a, yeah, he's like
1: some biologist or something. he's like that. a molecular biologist or something like that.
0: Microbiologist. I, I never thought I would see a microbiologist his age looking as jacked.
1: Yeah, as he plays he it does. out too. He needs to get a right. motorcycle.
0: Yeah, he needs a motorcycle. And like a 20-year-old woman just to haul around all the time, right?
1: Who knows he might.
0: (laughs) A while back, I saw uh, he had gone to a doctor. And the doctor had talked with him and he said, man, you are in the greatest shape out of all of my patients. What do you do? And he's like, I lift weights like crazy. I eat a whole lot of meat. I eat a high fat content. I low carb it uh, because it's just my thing. Uh, I This, 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 and this. And his blood doctor's work mind out. explodes. Well, the doctor looked at him for a few seconds and he had the nerve to tell him, okay, you need to cut back on your red meat, lower right. your fat intake, increase your carb intake and try not to lift so many weights right. because it's right in front of you. He said, he does this and you're seeing right. the results, right? But it's become just this ad hominem speech.
1: They 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 don't know. They're robots. And and literally, so my autistic mind thinks like this, where I try to understand what's going on around me. And and I think this probably, uh, you know, crystallized itself in my mind when I was working at Google, where I worked with a lot of highly educated people who had opinions that I disagreed with. And I tried to understand, you know, what was the origin of these ideas? Um, Why are they being generated the way they are? How do ideas spread across society? Um, and it, it seems that for the bulk of the 20th century, maybe the 19th century, um, it was seen as an ideal to roboticize humans, to um, to create, uh, you know, thousands of graduates from a university. You train people according to a certain template, and then you can they can get jobs based on their Harvard degree. You train a bunch of medical professionals who all interpret the same data, and then can regurgitate it out to the general population. And so what ends up happening is. Um, especially with professions with high barriers to entry. So high educational requirement professions, legal, medical. A lot of the people who are able to pass the tests that are necessary to get the license are the people who are able to study for 100 hours to just regurgitate something that they're going to forget in three days. These types of people are not the same type of people who can apply critical thinking to the things that they, they're learning. Now, some of them can, but that's not actually what it's testing for. It's not testing for critical thinking ability. It's testing for regurgitation ability. So most doctors, by having that MD at the end of their name, have proven not that they're critical thinkers, but they're they're capable of ingesting a lot of information and regurgitating it without without necessarily processing it in their minds. And so that's exactly what it seems like PD Mengden's doctor did. Um, you know, I've been fortunate that my doctors know what I eat and they see my blood tests and they're like, "Yeah, hey, it's fine. Whatever it is you're doing, it's fine." <laughs> um, because you know, I'm the same way. A majority of the calories that I eat from fat. I eat about a pound of red meat every day, which is like seven times what doctors recommend. And, um, you know, my LDL cholesterol, which doctors say should be under 120, is 55. And my HDL cholesterol that doctors say should be above 40 is like 71. So my ratio is like literally five times better than what is considered to be the goal that most doctors state. And the, the reason it's five times better, in part, is because I'm doing things that are seven times worse than what they're what what they're uh, telling you you should do. Yeah. Uh, another thing is
0: it's a, an approach that I've taken with my eating and even with my kids, like, okay, tomorrow we're doing this. So tonight we have to eat this. Yes. I eat for
1: certain things. Yep. Like if I know tomorrow is going to be leg day, I'm going to carb up. Did you see my post last night, man? I posted that same thing. I posted my baked pasta. I had some baked pasta for dinner because it's like, I got leg day today. I'm not oh, going to no, try to. I, I didn't see it, but that's
0: that's what I do. Yeah. But I also have, uh, I'm one of those guys that if I get anywhere near like a lemon pound cake, the whole thing is mine in one sitting. <laughs> so, hey, I do leg day twice a week. Yeah. That means I need to get at least two lemon pound cakes a week. So when I'm carving up on all this pasta and bread and everything, I can eat an entire lemon pound cake. That yeah. is why my sweet tooth get right. all those carbs and then go crank it out the next morning. Yeah. And if it's going to be a deadlift day, oh man, guess what? I'm staking out. I'm right. cramming down all this elk meat that I keep. Right. I'm, I'm just proteining up. I started yeah. eating, using food for a purpose rather than right. I'm hungry. I got to eat something.
1: Right. Right. And it ends up working itself out. You know, basically, you know, your approach, my approach, what I consider to be a more sustainable approach is more of an investment model rather than um, what what financial advisors tell most people to do. So uh, I was telling uh, Doolab this uh, a few months ago um, on the phone or we FaceTiming. And, um, you know, I, I try to use financial analogies with financial professionals because the, the transferability between fitness and finance is so high. Um, You just have to for the people who understand them. And so, most people's financial advisors will tell them that the way you can balance your budget, improve your credit score, and build wealth is you'll, well, don't go to Starbucks. You save $5 on that coffee. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they'll figure out a way for you to save like an extra $20 a day. Okay. So, you multiply that by 365 days. And at the end of the year, you've saved an extra $7,300. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's like 15% of the average American's like annual wage. So it's better to have that money than not. But it's actually really similar to what people will tell you around calorie counting. Well, do those extra 20 minutes on the bike. That's an extra 200 calories. Don't eat those uh, chips. That's 100 calories you save. They're nickel and dining, And at the end of the year, you might lose five pounds or something doing that or 10 pounds, but it's not sustainable and it's not really enjoyable. Well, the other alternative to both strategies, finance, you need to own income yielding assets because income yielding assets, they don't require you to work for them. Right. They don't require you to cut back your spending um, in order to sustain them. They will generate activity on their own. So the goal isn't to reduce your spending to the maximum capacity. It should actually be to maximize your income generating assets such that they're generating more than you're spending. Right. The same thing is true with fitness, is rather than you know, nickel and diming, cutting a calorie here, burning an extra calorie there, your goal should be to build a metabolic engine that's so powerful that it can ingest basically what you're putting in your body, whether it's two pounds of lemon pound cake a week, uh, pound of steak a day. All of this will help your metabolism speed up if you're doing it in conjunction with a functional training plan. Yeah.
0: And I think I first came across like just eating and using food for a specific purpose uh, back God, it feels like so long ago. It was like two thousand four. Yeah, when I, when I was in basic training. So yeah, it was a, it was a while ago. Um, they would make sure that the day before we had like a PT test. Well, you just cram as many of these Gatorades down, get all that salt, get all that yeah. sugar. Now cram this entire pot of spaghetti down per recruit. You know, get all those carbs and, you know. Just all of it, because those cars will convert to sugar. You're going to burn that sugar and energy. Just eat all of this. Yes. Okay. And so I started, like, using the bro science. Well, if it works for that, other foods must work for something else. Sure. You know, well, if I'm going to have to run two miles in less than 14 minutes tomorrow, and they say to eat spaghetti the night before, if I'm going to do that, well, if I'm going to be lifting super heavy tomorrow or if I know that we're going up Mount Mitchell in North Carolina, which is the highest peak on the East side of the Mississippi. Uh, well, guess what? You should probably eat a ton of meat and spaghetti right. because you're going to need that. And that's the way we've done it here at the house, but it's almost, it's not that like we try to. Yeah. It's just kind of a second nature thing. Now we don't, right. we don't weigh our food. We don't have, uh, you know, Uh, the, the food scales and we don't use measuring cups for the meat. We just throw the food in the pan. We cook it in olive oil. We season it with a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, whatever else my wife comes up with for the, you know, the way it's got to go. It comes out of the cast iron onto the plate and we eat. And if anything, it's, it's a constant struggle to get my kids to stop eating Right, but also also eat more because one it's expensive, but two I want you to gain more weight because right. you're you're naturally lean like I am. Right. Uh, but again, none of our kids ever get sick. Right. None of our kids ever have any kind of uh, other health issues or days where they're just lethargic. I can't get these guys to sit down because they're eating real food. They're not like worrying i i hate i can't be that helicopter parent that freaks out when is when the kid gets a boo boo if the bleeding's not arterial then don't talk to me go play you know <laughs> that's the way it's got the way it's got to be around here right but it's incredible that if you start looking at food that way food is a purpose you don't have a per- your purpose isn't to eat the food food's supposed to serve a purpose for you to- yeah Execute one task or another. Yeah, it, it it just falls into place that way. But yeah, like yeah. you mentioned, all these doctors are, and I I think I hate dietitians more than anyone else.
1: Yeah, especially the fat they, ones. They,
0: yeah, you, look if you if you're a fat dietitian, uh, a fat fitness coach, or a skinny chef, we can't talk, mm-hmm. right? But they uh, they the, the regurgitate the. The food pyramid and the the talking points: eggs are bad for you, and all, you know coffee causes cancer. All this stuff, but they see right in front of them that none of these things are true. They're just being saying what they were told to say because they remembered it and regurgitated it. Right, and people
1: blindly follow them because
0: they wear a lab coat.
1: Right. Well, I mean, this has been known for a hundred years and propagandists like Edward Bernays, uh, who is Sigmund Freud's uh, nephew, who you can, uh, there's actually a great BBC documentary that was created about 20 years ago about the rise of um, modern propaganda. So he took Sigmund Freud's kind of theories, brought them over to the U.S., sold World War I to the U.S. public, um, got us to commit a bunch of troops to Europe and then used his expertise to sell cigarettes to women, um, probably using lab coats, right? As well as like a lot of modern commercial um, propaganda, Um, you know, he actually wrote a book called Propaganda for like, this is how you convince people to do things. You can use experts. People tend to rely on experts. So you need to wear the uniform of an expert if you want people to believe you, whether what you're saying is true or not. And, you know, it's it's sad, but it's it's also helpful to understand that this has been going on for a long time and will continue to go on for a long time because it works. Um, but you know, another thing that, that, um, I wanted to, to share based on what you were saying about your family's, uh, eating habits and, you know, fueling up for activity is a lot of medical professionals get this wrong because they say, well, you're going to go on this plan, make this change, make this change, make this change, make this change. They're not taking into account the emotional toll that 10 changes has on the practitioner on the, on the client. Um, what I found, what Alexander Cortez has found as well. Is rather than try to get somebody to make dietary changes, um, before they train, you actually want to get them training first, um, most of the time. So sometimes I'll have people make dietary changes and not really train that hard. I don't want to have people doing both at the same time when they're coming from a dead stop because that's actually way too emotionally intensive. So if I can find easy diet changes for somebody, that's what's going to happen for the first six weeks and they'll have like really good results just doing that. And they'll, and then, Once they have good results, then they're willing to commit more effort to when they're training because they're like, well, this already is working. Like, I know this is going to work. This is this additional incremental incremental effort is going to certainly yield more results. The flip side is true with training. If you get somebody on a training plan, you say, we keep eating what you're eating. But like this is what the training plan is going to be. They'll find that the training is actually easier if they end up properly fueling themselves. So rather than viewing it as an additional burden that they need to do, it's actually a cheat code. It's like, oh, I got to have this hard training session tomorrow morning. So I'm going to eat all this food so it's not as hard. Well, guess what? You just had that person do the two things that you wanted them to do by only telling them to do the one thing. That's much more emotionally sustainable than going through a laundry list, a 20-item checklist of these are the things I need to do to be healthy.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it, it, it really is the the small incremental lifestyle changes mm-hmm. that make the difference. Because everybody right. goes... For me, I there's no way I could have said, "Well, I'm going to cut out all these foods because I love my pound cake. Lemon pound cake is my blood type. All right, we're there. All right, I'm not going to stop drinking copious amounts of black coffee every day. I'm just not going to do it because I like it. Right. I mean, I'm I'm the guy that can drink a gallon of coffee at eleven, go to sleep at eleven thirty, and still get up at three forty five to go train. But when I started training and I'm all right this sucks I'm getting up at 345 it sucks but it's time with my son we're going to the gym together he's you know gonna be 18 in a year well now in like a month uh, he's actually leaving before he turns 18 to basic but uh all right I'm just gonna do it and it took maybe ten days to create that habit and yep. then I realized. Training sucked this morning because I ate that entire pan, you know, that entire pound cake or that entire pot of spaghetti when it was like chest day or something like I was going to throw up in the gym. Right. I'll do that. I'll eat something different. Right. And you just kind of just listen to, you know, my own body. Yeah. That sucked today. I'm not going to do that again. I'll remember to not do that. Right. Or if, even if I forget, Oh, I ate this. Well, I'm not training that today because I know what I ate last night. I'll train this instead. Right. You know, it, it's gotten a lot easier, but there's no way I could have, you could have told me, Hey, go train the way you you're, you know, you're going to end up training. And then also don't eat this, eat this, eat this many right. times a day, eat that, man. I got nine kids. You know, I have a wife, a dog. I run a comp own a company. I'm, I'm writing books every three months. Right. There's no way I can remember, you know, I, I don't wear a watch. I can't right. set an alarm, you know, to eat, you know, every two hours, X amount of calories and X amount of protein, right. and all this other at the same time, trying to add in. Oh, by the way, you're going to go train for an hour every single day, right? Without fail, and then throw that on top of it. I, I would have quit both.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good salesperson gets the gets the the sales candidate to um, a, basically think of what the salesperson wants him to do on his own terms because people are much more likely to do things when they feel that they're on their own terms. So a good health professional will put you in a position where you're making the decisions that are ultimately health, helpful, rather than you feel like you're following somebody else's orders. Because people don't like following orders. Some people like following orders, but some people don't like following orders. Oh, and I um,
0: love following orders.
1: And these are actually the people who like counting their calories because they feel like, oh, okay, I'm following all the rules. I'm doing exactly what I'm told. And this is the best plan. And, you know, if that makes you feel comfortable, fine, do it. It's probably not the best outcome you're going to get. But if it's the easiest for you and it like works okay, then do it. But for people who don't like following orders and following instructions like you and me, like we need to come to these conclusions on our own. We're not going to do it because somebody tells us to.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely that guy. If it's not my idea, I'll do it begrudgingly. Right. But then I'll have to throw in some kind of iteration that worked better for me. Right, right, uh, and, right, right. But on to that, with yeah. uh, with what you were saying, You know, the people following orders, why do you think it is that people become so comfortable in just following exactly what every single medical professional says, even when they see, I mean, I know propagand, propaganda is powerful, mm-hmm. but is it that powerful when you, I, like, I can see you You look the way you do. There's still an inkling in the back of my mind that goes, yeah, he probably doesn't eat carbs. Yeah, he's probably done keto a couple of times. And I know it's not true. I tried keto for two weeks
1: once. Because
0: (laughs) it's just always in your face. Right. It's hard to not go, oh, I know what he did. Yeah. Right.
1: But that's how propaganda works. Propaganda works even if you're aware that it's being applied to you because it's all about repetition. And so what people don't realize about the human mind is we all there's a million things going on around us at once. And we have a limited amount of time to process everything. So what ends up happening is people will take heuristic shortcuts to come to conclusions. And throughout history, it's been kind of appropriate to uh, basically pair repetition with truth. If I've heard it 10,000 times, it's probably true. I don't need to apply additional cognitive resources towards evaluating that statement because everybody's been saying it, so it must be true. That's how the herd mindset, the sheep mindset exists across humans and some people more than others, but we all have it to some extent because we need to save time in our mental processing of what's going on around us to just navigate the world. We can't analyze every single thing that's in our uh, immediate environment And so what what the ultimate effect of that is, uh, you know, people are going to take shortcuts in how they view the world. And people are also going to view the world through the path of least resistance in some in many ways, actually. And so the path of least resistance for most people who grew up in quasi functional countries is to trust experts. I've talked to Zach Homel about this. The people who who say trust the experts, the people who say trust science, are the people who've figured out the best way to navigate life is to do what they're told and have a positive review from an authority figure because that's exactly what our educational system trains you to do is to get reviewed positively by an authority figure. That sets you up perfectly for corporate employment. You work so you can get a positive performance review um, from your boss, right? And because that do what I'm told, do what the experts want us to do um, mindset has been rewarded in this subset of the population for so long, it's really hard for them to unlearn that pattern because they've seen it over and over again in their lives. And most people operate with a high level of cognitive dissonance and their brain can't reconcile that. So by cognitive dissonance, I mean, you're certain one thing is true, but you're aware of a complete contradiction to that rule and you're not reconciling why that contradiction exists. You're just putting it in the outlier bucket and you're pretending that it doesn't exist because acknowledging its existence will disrupt the other mental model that you have that tends to be true 85% of the time. What a mature thinker will do is you'll take the general model that's true about 85% of the time, but you'll reconcile the exceptions to that model appropriately. You're not going to make inaccurate um, guesses. You're not going to say, well, this guy's obviously doing keto or he's obviously not on carbs or he's on steroids or something like that. You'll say, well, what's logically most likely to happen? Okay, so this is exactly what he does. He documents everything. Hmm. Well, there must be a greater truth then that that supersedes everything that I'm being told. And this is what a mature thinker can do when faced with cognitive dissonance is they need to reconcile both the general rule and the exception to the rule to then create a, a more functional model of why certain things happen and why the world exists the way it does. Most people lack the discipline, lack the mental discipline to overcome their cognitive dissonance. And they basically stop learning after they're like 22 years old.
0: Yeah. I think it's like you said, you can't analyze everything. Yeah. And so you fall into, it's working for these guys over here, or at the very least they're saying it's working. So I don't need to do any research on it. Right. I don't need to experiment with it. They've already gone down the road. None of them got bit by a snake. So I'm going to go down the road too, because- right we're we're progress driven right we have to keep moving right. and well i don't want to spend that it's same thing with just about everybody they don't want to spend too much time prepping and then never get to the damn thing right and if they did do that they would never get anything done so that's working for these guys and these authority figures over here like you just mentioned you're you're reviewed by you know someone who's in a like an authority figure in that field and that's like the the 9 out of 10 doctors recommend you know recommend this you know uh so well yeah i'll go do that so right. yeah it makes sense why they would just blindly follow yeah but, but that behavior shouldn't it, it shouldn't metastasize to every other part of their life outside of just you know food and health the way it has
1: well you know it's it is uh it, it's a consequence of modern capitalism you know capitalism works but it depends on the outsourcing of various uh, information distribution and capital distribution models. And those things are not always perfect, right? And so you can't have a society where everybody's questioning everything all the time because no work would get done. You just basically have riots and protests all the time because people would realize that this agreement that we have isn't fair because if you analyze every social contract that exists, exactly 0% of them are actually fair for every single person. And, and so you can't have a society that's microanalyzing every social contract that exists because then people would just not ever work and nothing would get built. They would fight with each other and then ultimately get dominated by an outsider who says, look at all these people bickering. They're not doing anything. We're just going to go overtake them with an army. And that could be the path that we're on. Who knows? But uh, you know, the, you need to have an optimal level of questioning of your environment and that optimal level will depend on, uh, how your economy is going, the size of your society. Um, I think there's a reason why Americans can operate more economically efficiently than some Western Europeans. And I think a lot of the reason actually has to do with maybe we're not as well educated as them. And so we don't find reasons to complain as much basically before a handful of years ago. So pre pre Trump's election, basically people, Americans didn't have like they weren't smart enough to realize how they were being fucked. The way a western European might so they just wouldn't fight and they'd show up and they'd work 50 weeks out of 52 uh, for you know the same wage that they worked the last year while the corporate profits are growing and they're just they don't know what's going on so they're just like head down work well that creates a lot of like stuff stuff gets built um probably more efficiently than the society where the workers are like what's going on we're getting screwed we're going on strike but then when you take that to a you know the the logical Conclusion. Then you just have a society of drones, and you have a bunch of smart con artists figuring out how to take advantage of the society of drones that they've created.
0: Yeah, and I don't think a lot of that kind of uh, the drone behavior comes from um, what a good friend of mine, um, Anthony, has uh, stated as the uh, the "because I said so" generation. Mm-hmm. The parents who always just that was that was their lesson, right? Do this. Why? Because I said so. Mm-hmm. I'm your dad. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm an, I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm your teacher. I'm your coach. I'm an authority. Trust me. Do what I said. Mm-hmm. And that kind of preconditions your kids into being the little drones yeah. that, well, the TV said do this. Doctor Fauci said do this. The president said do this mm-hmm. without questioning anything. And so I think that being on, you know, uh, in accompaniment to the word. Very uneducated as a nation, or or just lazy, don't want to do the damn research, or look into anything, right? Yeah, it's all
1: I, nobody just research.
0: Ironically, it. <laughs> ironically, it's the uh, the educate yourself crowd that. Well, you, I mean, they're kind of right, you know, but
1: they mean indoctrinate those, the, yourself. <laughs> yeah, they, they they, these
0: people mean indoctrinate yourself, but really, yeah. they're you know, what's on paper written down is educate yourself is right. Yeah. You should right. definitely question some things uh, and stop blindly following, but also you shouldn't be blindly oppositional to everything either.
1: Yeah. Because and a lot you know, of people are one of the two. They they don't they, have, they have the nuance. To
0: yeah. yeah. They have to be because nuance takes too much computing power. right? Right.
1: And I noticed yeah. this in high school. I'm sure you did too. Other people did too, where you look at like high schools have goth crowds, uh, I was not part of the goth crowd, but I observed them from a people-watching standpoint. You have like the anti, the establishment crowd and the anti-establishment crowd. And the anti-establishment crowd says that all of the establishment crowd is a bunch of followers. But then you look at how the anti-establishment crowd operates, and it's the same thing, just applied in the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. So you're actually a follower, too. If, if all you're doing is doing the exact opposite of what the dominant culture does, then they're controlling you and you're their slave because all they need to do to influence your behavior is to do the opposite of what they want you to do. And then you're going to do that. So you're too a slave and you're a follower.
0: Yeah. That's the kid uh, what was that reverse psychology and yeah. the, uh, the ducks season rabbit season thing. You know, you want him to shoot himself. Okay. Well, fine. It's rabbit season. No, yeah, Bam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You see that a lot, but I think with the people who are just blindly oppositional, I was that guy. Yeah. If you tell me, Do this. You're going to have to make me. It's the last thing I want to do now because you said I had to do it. Yeah. You tell me not to do something. That's the first thing I want to do now. Right. And that's just, I don't know, testosterone. I don't don't know.
1: Yeah. Right. Probably is. Uh,
0: But. The the anti-establishment crowd kind of, you know, when it came around, it had this mantra of uh, we have to scare the straights. So whatever was in direct opposition to what was considered quote unquote good and wholesome or whatever, that was good now.
1: Yeah. And you see this on like on on Instagram, you see this with a lot of the uh, body acceptance movement. It's like uh, this isn't a body acceptance movement. It's literally let's find what's ugly and make it popular.
0: Yeah, it's a transvaluation and yeah. a redefining of things in terms like beauty and healthy right. and fit, simply because the people that didn't like the original definitions of them had a sense of inferiority come right. washing over them as soon as they read that word. Right,
1: right, right. right. And they Just still saying, have money, know, so you can still it, hustle them with a the marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. like the night abs in ninety days and all that other. Uh, but the, I think the natural reaction to when you see that is to if it's something you, you it has like an emotional effect on you you're naturally mm-hmm. gonna go no 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 a hundred percent exact opposite the other way mm-hmm. right you're just so you you get kind of accustomed to just always being reactive yeah and next thing you know that's your 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 standard right you're just right well the president said this I'm doing this This doctor said this. I'm going to do this. My parents said, do this. I'm going to do this. This click crowd over here said to do this. And that's what this is what they do. Well, I'm going to do the opposite to show my individualism and show them that I'm not one of them. No one really does anything except for the few that actually consider what they do and consider what they oppose like on an actual deep level where they consider it not just glance right. at it but consider it not really many people are doing anything they believe in they're doing things that are just oppositional to whatever they're oppositional to right even and- if there's a, even if there's like a nuanced point that they agree with no well i'm in opposition to this And this is my identity that I feel like I need to express. So my behavior and my actions will all do these things, even though I don't really believe it. I just know I'm not one of those people.
1: Right. And and I think that if you force yourself to apply conditionality to all the decisions you make and all the perspectives that you have, you can tease out a lot of it. Meaning I disagree with the point that Jeff is making, but under these conditions, I would agree with it. Most people can't take that step because they've decided that they're either oppositional or a follower. But if you really wanna force your thinking, it's like, okay, this is why I disagree. And, and under these circumstances, I would actually agree. So I will not do what he says unless these circumstances are met. And if they are, then I will. That's a mature approach. That's like called thinking, but most people don't wanna do it because it's energy intensive in the brain and our brains have evolved to save energy just like our bodies have.
0: Or maybe these people just don't have the energy because they're eating crap out of a box.
1: Well, yeah, that's possible too. Yeah. that too. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's it's interesting how we look back on ourselves because you you said you were that way. I'm still kind of that way. The cop says, you know, don't go over 55. I'll go 56. Yeah. You know, I'm just that guy. And,
1: and that's how men are.
0: That, yeah, that's Especially how men are. Yeah. But if you're looking at the big picture and there's something you are vehemently opposed to, ask yourself if you're really opposed to it or are you opposed to it because you don't like the people that are in favor of it.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I, that, I think that plays the biggest role. Are you really in opposition or are you really in agreement? Like You know, for example, the, the mask argument, do you really, and I, it is what it is. I don't give a shit which president is there. Uh, I'll do what I think's best for my family based on the circumstances that I sure. see from where I live in my front porch. But the majority of the people who refuse to wear masks are your more conservative right-wing kind of people. Sure. Now there's, there's a new ones. Yeah, some of the people on the left are going, nah, it's fucking stupid. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people that are, you know, you more liberal party, democratic party, uh, you know, the left-wing people that are vehemently for masks. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle. I don't give a shit either way. I'm just not going to wear one. If you want to, cool. If you don't, cool. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the people that are anti mask are anti mask because they don't like the people that are pro mask.
1: Yeah, it is. And the
0: majority of people that are pro mask are pro mask because they hate, with every ounce of their being, the people who are anti mask.
1: It's, it's true. And, you know, I think I've had, I worked in Silicon Valley for, I mean, since moving, I moved to Texas a few months ago, but basically up until 20. Thank you. Um, from 2010 to, I guess no, 2011 to 2020, I, I lived and worked in Silicon Valley and I've always made it a point to express myself in the way I think because I've just been unwilling to work in an environment that forces me to, to think and say things that I don't agree with. I, I view that as, the first step towards mental slavery, which is the first step towards actual slavery. And so I've always communicated what I've thought and, and I think deeply about things. So I always explain my reasoning for why I think things in the conditionality for, you know, under these circumstances, I wouldn't think this. Um, and so I remember having a discussion, call it an argument, but a discussion because it's friendly um, with a coworker of mine who respects me and I respect him because I think he's smart and capable and he thought I was smart and capable. And I was expressing support for, um, I think it was like maybe maybe some sort of um, immigration approach or it was so, some uh, some Trump policy. Um, and he was a very, very much anti-Trump. And I was like looking at the policy. I'm like, okay, so this is what happens when you, um, you know, when you make it really easy to import foreign labor is you flood the market with labor and labor is a, like a good, like anything else. So when you increase the supply, the price of it goes down. And when the price goes down, that means wages go down. And, and when wages go down, corporate profits might go up because the corporations don't have to pay people as much. But for the average worker, they're making less. And so the point I was making was like logical, sequentially logical. You could follow my, my thinking and it was kind of hard to dispute like either any area where I was wrong. And his response is, why do you have to say that, man? It just It's like, like, do you realize the types of people who agree with you? And, and it's like, I might, but that doesn't make me wrong. It's like, just because a bunch of people who might hold views that are counter to what you think is, is kosher, believe a thing, doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're wrong about everything just because you don't like them.
0: Yeah, but that's where we're at now. It's a very binary thing, right? You have to be all of this and none of this. You can't have any nuance. You can't. You just have to, you know, you can't have any thoughts of your own. You just have to march in step with the pre-prescribed dogma of this particular ideology, which, by the way, changes its rules more than most of the people who belong to it do their underwear. True. So you're you, you're going to constantly have to be on your toes. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you, you see that now on both sides, the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not conservative enough. Well, he's not liberal enough
1: tribalism it's terrible now i'm all for tribalism well however at what size that's my conditionality at what size conditionality
0: is the size yes when a
1: tribe gets too
0: big and i think i've had to cover this point on every episode so far and every podcast people have asked me when a tribe gets too big you end up bigger because of diversity diversity is great
1: Mm -hmm.
0: until it's not great yeah diversity is a strength when it's preventing incest and it's preventing (laughs) echo chambers and it's preventing stagnation of ideas Mm
1: -hmm.
0: diversity of ideology diversity of morals diversity of worldviews those aren't as conducive to growth and intertribal dependence as you would want them to be that's when you start seeing things splitting off into these splinter cells where you have these mini tribes within a tribe, which is how you look at the left and the right in the American political system. Mm-hmm. It's they are smaller tribes that are supposed to be part of this one bigger collective tribe. But yeah, really, cult. yeah, yeah they, yeah, they become cultish at that point because it's mm-hmm. one big empire with a unification strategy to get all these yeah. different tribes to come together. Right. But they can't because they hate each other. Right. And there's this layer on top that says, well, they all live in the same geographical
1: proximity. So they're the same.
0: And they're really not. So if it's too big, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And and so this is why, like when, when somebody says, well, this is fascism, this is bad. This is communism. This is bad. It's like, well, under what size are we talking about? Because you can actually run a family like a fascist dictator and you'd be okay. You run a family like a communist dictator and you'd be okay. Cause it's like, for most people, Everybody four, but for some people, thing. 11, you know, but it's, it's, you know, going to be smaller than 30. Um, You can run a sports teams or run like fascist societies. You do not have sports teams run like democracies where the players will vote for the starting lineup. You have the coach who decides, or maybe the coach in consultation with the general manager and ownership who decides, but it's a small committee that's deciding what's happening. Um, And this is generally accepted that this exists on the familial level. Mom and dad are deciding what's happening. Uh, The coach is deciding what's happening. It's, it's easier, you know, a 200-person company, the CEO and the board are deciding what's happening. This is actually the most effective way to run smaller groups. The problem, as you mentioned, is when when these groups comprise a larger society and you try to model the larger society after the smaller societies, well, fascism and communism don't work when you're talking about a million people or more or like 10 million people or more, right? That's well, when, when you the- hit
0: about a thousand people is when you're going to start realizing there's some problems and you're going to have to start calling members. Uh, I think it's as small as a thousand.
1: I so, think example, I, I think it's a have, little bit bigger than that. Uh, well, just, just looking at, at well, corporations. This is, it,
0: this is the way I would look at it from the corporation standpoint. If you have this parent company that owns these three companies all under the same name, this company is in San Bernardino, California.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: company is in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Just the people alone that work there are going to be diametrically opposed in sure. view to the other people. Sure. And so the parent company that sits over here in Kalamazoo, Michigan, can't micromanage the culture within the company past a certain extent to these individuals that are working in these places that, yes, you own them. They make up your company. However, the people are diametrically opposed in just about every single way. Mm -hmm. So You can only dictate it to a certain point and then you got to leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't tell the people in Florida to to do what the people in Cali are doing. And you can't tell the people in Cali to do what the people in Florida are doing
1: to a certain point Mm -hmm. because it's
0: never going to work.
1: Well, I agree with you, but I would disagree with you um, basically in in one area in that there are both costs and benefits to scale. So once the company reaches a thousand, you are correct. You know, if you're trying to apply the same policy to a, a Florida a uh, subdivision compared to a California subdivision, that might not be the uh, the best thing to do. And there's a, certainly a cost to that. The benefit to it is you only need to hire one HR department who has a uniform policy that they roll out across everybody. You probably you know, say you have like a healthcare provider or something, you have one one uh, nationwide healthcare provider that rolls out services across everything. So um, despite the fact that you're operating with uh, more rules and regulations than what this, what the minions would want, Um, you're actually gaining efficiency at scale and then you can actually justify selling your product to the market at a lower price because the cost to service your company and your employees is actually lower. Um, And so that's why I think the the actual size at which fascism stops working is basically the size at which companies stop becoming profitable. And that size is over 1000. That's not to say that there's no costs to their expansion. There certainly are. Um, But I think the way to kind of dispassionately assess, well, what is what is the upper threshold for how large a fascist, a fascist society can operate is like, how many employees does Apple have? Because Apple is going to have the same growing pains you mentioned, right? The Apple office in Texas is not going to have the same views as the Apple office in Silicon Valley is not going to have the same views as the Apple office in uh, Shanghai or Singapore. But they're still running a multi-hundred thousand person company like a dictatorship. And they seem to be doing quite well with billions of dollars of cash scrolled away in an offshore account so i you can't say that that model's dysfunctional it's actually quite functional in uh to, you know in spite of all of the headwinds that you mentioned which are true and do exist
0: yeah i see that and, and again it's it's one of those conditionality things right there, there's mm-hmm. conditions to each uh scenario but we don't have people watching this show who are all uh well, all three of them at this point because it's Saturday afternoon. Who wants to be sitting okay. home watching YouTube? It's cool. Um, they usually get between a few hundred views
1: by yeah. the oh, end of the week. Find them later. But, uh, it's gold. Well, Everybody finds gold. They'll find gold. This is oh well, yeah, they find they find gold. But the majority of people who are going to see this,
0: I, I hate to say it because I love my viewers, but a lot of them don't want to think in nuanced perspectives. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. I'm the same way. I don't like thinking in nuanced perspectives. Uh, you know, at, after a certain point, okay, this is my way. If, I, if it looks the certain way from my front porch, that's the only perspective that matters. Mm-hmm. And that's fine with the conditionality that I don't leave anywhere where I can't see my front porch. Mm-hmm. It's got to change when I start moving out and going down the street to a different block, to a different town, to a different city, to a different neighborhood, and you encounter all these different people. Mm-hmm keep your perspective but just be aware that there's going to be others who are not going to share that mm-hmm. and oh the Anthony that I mentioned uh, about the uh, worker kids there he is quality not quantity he and you know what I'm rocking his favorite outfit today right here with the, uh, the white tank top he's Italian so that's all he owns probably can't say that without getting cancelled it's alright yeah <sighs> But no, I get what you're saying. There is a there is a certain point when you do have to have this uniform code that applies to everyone. And we do that as a country. Right. Uh, The uniform code is the Constitution. The uniform code are basically all of your capital laws. Right. You know, murder, rape, uh, you know, the, the big ones that universally apply to all 50 states. Right. But then you have the small individual nuances that are allowed within the different States. Well, in Colorado, you can buy weed. You can in California too. You can't here in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to allow smaller tribes to live with a certain level of sovereignty, Mm -hmm. as long as they don't go overboard is necessary
1: and, and this it, isn't even new. I mean no, the, running the joke Roman in Republic South
0: Carolina, The the running joke in South Carolina is that if you want to be a successful governor, and you know, I love living here. If you want to be a successful governor in South Carolina, all you have to do is get on stage in front of the camera and say, folks, do whatever you think is best for your family and walk away. And you'll get elected over and over and over again, and you'll never have to do anything else.
1: Yeah. That's
0: the that's the running joke for here. And I think that level is important.
1: Did you freeze? Oh, you froze. Okay. You're back. Yeah. You froze too. Okay. Well, you were saying that level is important and I, I agree that you need to delegate, right? So this is, This is something that a lot of people can't quite understand because they don't understand how companies, um, families, large scale societies work. Large scale societies don't work with one set of rules that everybody follows. They have a general set of rules and then they delegate everything else. This is why capitalism works. Capitalism is essentially the delegation of of many fascist models by democratically elected leadership. It's like yes corporations are run like fascist systems but because they're generally smaller that's actually the most effective model for them to operate under right and we didn't invent this so you think of roman empires julius caesar he just everybody just did what he what they were told until they got mad and killed him but it's like you look at what the romans did to amass all that land around the mediterranean they didn't force all of their conquered subjects to adopt every Roman policy. They let them live as they preferred to live so long as they paid taxes to Caesar. That ended up being the most efficient model rather than micro-policing everything that they could do. It's like, well, their economy produces stuff. So as long as they give us enough dinars or denarius or whatever they they called their currency, um, you're good. Just pay me at the end of the year. You're good. And that worked. And it does work. Did, it, uh, yeah. did we cut out? Did that it, cut out? It,
0: it cut out again. But no, uh, oh. the, you know, oh. the, the, the exact same thing happened in the Roman uh, Empire with we don't care who you pray to as long as you also pray to the Roman gods. Pray yeah. to whoever you want. Yeah. Right. It didn't sit well with the Christians and eventually Christianity became the official religion there. Right. But that's what led to it. Right. It was that everybody can do their own thing until it got out of hand. When the Christians were going well we're definitely still going to do our own thing and not it was only going to go one of two ways the Romans were going to kill all of the Christians or the Christians were going to get their way yeah and that's how it would happen with any other tribe of any other scale once it got to a certain point with any other idea or value or view or opinion somebody's going to have to compromise on one side or it's all coming down
1: Mm -hmm. and that's called being a grown up like you got to compromise sometimes. Right? Where do we
0: find these grownups, Alex?
1: I don't know, like Google them, maybe find them on the internet
0: somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna Google grownups later and see if I can find some. Yeah. Um, so we've got about maybe 10 minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about your website. What people yeah. can do if they want to come to you to get your resources and your knowledge. Yeah. And so they can do the same thing that you've done that I've been able to do from having your cookbook. Yeah. And implementing it
1: here at home. So you can go to insanelyaddictive.com. It's it's actually being built right now. So the easiest way actually is to find me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, I My DMs are open um, despite the fact that I have maybe 30,000 followers across both platforms. I do, in fact, see every DM that I get um, and I'm pretty good about replying to them. So, you know, my goal in this space is to simplify fitness for everybody. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, everything that I created in my fitness system was done while I had a full time job in Silicon Valley. And so everything in my system is built for a real life scenario. You have work, you have limited time, you might have limited equipment, you might not have a million dollars to spend on every meal. Um, you don't have time to weigh and measure your food. You don't have two hours to spend at the gym. Okay, perfect. That's called you're a human. This is, this is a very effective approach that you can follow to maximize your both results and enjoyment on anything. So if you have any questions, the reason I like doing this is because it's easy for me to help people. It's easy for me to identify inefficiencies in an approach. And so if you wanna book a one-on-one consultation with me, I'm happy to talk through some of the challenges that you're going through. If you wanna purchase uh, you know, my entire system and learn it, you can buy my masterclass. I'll throw sales on that um, semi-regularly, and or you can get it today right now, all linked in my Twitter bio. Um, every component that you're uh, applying in your relationship to fitness can probably be improved. And my goal with a lot of the social content that I'm creating is to make people realize that a enjoyable, sustainable relationship with fitness is achievable. And it's actually the best path towards, you know, achieving the results that you want on your terms, which I think is really important for people like Jeff and me doing it on your own terms. So my plans don't have a ton of hard rules. They have A very small number of of very important rules to follow that everybody can for the most part, sort of like what we were talking about for rules at the federal level. And then everything else, it's like, throw me your restrictions and I'll throw away around them because it's just, it's a strategy planning game. So if you want to work together one-on-one, you want to join any of our group classes, we have openings there. Um, And if you simply want to just learn the content, you can do that there too. I don't know if we lost Jeff, but I will stay on in case he pings me. All right, got it back.
0: Yep, yeah, I had to switch over here to uh, my phone because apparently my kids are playing with the internet. But uh, oh. see, we still got some people. Yeah, That's good. so see, we I still got some food. people watching um, The last thing that I was able to hear you say was that your uh, your products are based off of real life results and yeah. expectations,
1: not created out of a vacuum not based on, oh, let me like look at this study because I, I did the studies. I did all the stuff that was supposed to work. And I found that a real life approach actually works better. And I think we lost Jeff again. Um, but yeah, everything that I'm doing no. is, oh, you're still here? Okay, I can barely hear you. Um, but yeah, everything that I've created has been created for a real life situation. Oh, you're you're trying to cook a good meal, but you only have a toaster oven. I got you. Um, Oh, you're getting uh, food catered with your company, but you want to make it taste better and and fit uh, more with your diet goals. I can help you. Um, You don't want to, uh, you don't want to count calories. You don't have to, these are not requirements. Um, You hate doing certain components of your training. Okay. Well, these are the most important ones for you to do. And if you do the other ones they are icing on the cake. So, A lot of fitness plans are not created with workarounds and cheat codes. Mine are because real life necessitates that you sometimes deviate from the perfectly templated plan and do what you can do. I've done that for years. It's worked. And I want to teach everybody how they can do it because so many people have developed the wrong idea of what it means to be in shape and what it means to have a good relationship with fitness in their training plan. Speaking, Jeff, I don't know. I think the. I'll uh, your... oh, go ahead. The audio is like cutting. On you. Huh.
0: yeah. That, I guess, Can you hear me
1: now? I can just now hear you just now. But I couldn't for like most of the uh, last minute. And now I can.
0: you can't. Yeah, I guess I want to. Whatever they're doing. I, I get everything you were saying. Is my first cool. Um, before we end up losing more activity because my kids don't you know, know how to leave out, uh, I want to say thank you for coming to the show. I'll come back. Let me see what I can get set up in a closet where they won't mess with the internet. It's uh, all good. But yeah, man, it was, I'm a big fan because of the way that I started cooking. We started using your product, uh, your cookbook, book, and way, the way it's worked for my family. Yeah. I recommend anybody watching this, connect with Alex. His at is the exact same on Twitter as it is on Instagram. His Instagram is nothing but food pictures, and you can see this food looks amazing. It really is cheating. You shouldn't be able to eat like this and still get the results that you do. And, hey, look, Anthony Meg is going to donate some Bitcoin for a Wi-Fi booster.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, we got him coming back. Got the infinite wheel spin.
0: Yeah, the infinite wheel spin for uh, everyone who tuned in and watched I appreciate it. This has been episode four of The Perimeter with Alex Feinberg, the Fat Loss King. Check out his website. Check out his social media. Check out everything you can that this guy puts out because it's going to be made out of solid gold, and it's going to taste better than solid gold. All right? True. Thank you all for watching. All right, and See ya. Have a good one.